Lorenzi, Lorenzi, eccolo il cross tagliato di testa che da go! Go! il magnifico, il magnifico, il magnifico rettore! Entertainment capital of the world. What a strike! What a goal! What a comeback! What a game! There are no words to describe it! It's the TC Martin Show. Léger hors jeu, mais cette fois-ci, il n'y en a pas pour Marco Reus. C'est fort devant le but! Prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. El largo pifio. Messi la tiene. Messi, Messi, Messi. Ahí está Iniesta. Gol. 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 Cerebro. Cerebro. Cerebro Iniesta. The doctor is now in. Glad to have you with us on a Monday, Manic Monday, call it whatever you want. First See, Monday of August. This is true. August 2nd, the first Monday of August. How does it feel to be in the middle of August? It's, they like to say with baseball terms, the dog days of summer. Training camp underway, football right here. This is not a dead zone. It's never really a dead zone in sports. Well, I know a lot of people like to say that. There's a lot of some sports talk shows out there who say, this is the dead zone. Well, no. and they always say during the All Star break, they always say the yeah. dead weekend or whatever. Those the, the three deadest days in sports. Yeah, yeah, because there's only forty thousand things going on instead of sixty thousand. <laughs> <laughs> TC Martin, Ballpark Frank, Numchuck on the other side of the glass. Uh, glad to have you with us. Uh, I'm glad to be back. Took off uh, Thursday and Friday. Kind of have a a sandwich vacation as I. As I like to call it, so well, uh, you're you're all food oriented, so a sandwich vacation kind of makes sense. It makes sense. Are it you did. going to Hawaii? Yeah, no. weren't they the sandwich islands? <laughs> that is true. I still got to get to Hawaii. Still, still haven't gotten to Hawaii. But yeah, the sandwich vacation where, so I'm off Thursday, Friday, take a, a, a weekend getaway, and I guess I should clarify where I went. You know, I went went to Sacramento. I mean, some people thought that I was gone. I heard you were calling. Where's Waldo? You know exactly. Well, yeah, because on the Wednesday before you were mentioning that you were going to see Houston, you were going down to Houston to see baseball, and so I thought, okay. So Thursday, I was like, yeah, I'm in the studio. TC's down in Houston. Then I look on social media. I'm like, wait, TC's in Sacktown. He didn't go to Sacktown, and then he's going to the game tonight in Houston. Must be Houston next weekend. Yes. So now I'm checking. I look it up, and it's like, oh yeah, Houston's at home next. Yeah. So so at first I, I'm like, well, instead of where's Waldo, where's TC? We would. I I was like, uh, apparently he's incognito someplace a little bit, but I don't know if you're incognito when you're posting 46 food pictures exactly. every day. But oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but we finally did figure it out. But th- the first day I, I thought you were going to Houston because that's what you had said right before you left. Well, but I think you were already in vacation mode. I was in vacation mode, and I was looking real forward to going to Houston next week. And so that was the the plan. Sacramento th- this week, this weekend, and then Houston next weekend. So I may have mentioned Houston, and who knows? I, like well, you, you said, didn't, and yeah. you also threw me off because yeah. I said, "Are you bringing your garbage can?" And you said, "Well, no, they're going to be home, so I don't need the garbage can." Next week, and it's like, yeah, well, well yeah, yeah, but they weren't actually home for when you went last right. week. So, that, and so that's yeah. what I was thinking. I'm thinking so, yeah. like, well, they know that the. The Houston's playing the Giants. They're on the West Coast, so there you go. But yeah, you're right. But, no, well, but they do play the Giants in Houston too. So yeah, I mean, yeah, you know they, you know, I mean, you. Yeah, I know you used to be a pitcher. You threw the curveball, and I was looking fastball. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> this week I'm going to Houston, my All friend. Right. I can hardly wait. Woo! That's it. Can hardly wait. That's it. Get to go to Minute Maid Park Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Looking forward to it. You're going so, every day. Going every day, yeah. So when I when I when I go to the games, I pretty much go to the games every day. Go see my boy Dusty Baker, my man Dusty Baker, and uh, he'll be managing the Astros. And the good thing is they're playing the Twins. So I mean, not really excited about the Twins, but at least they should probably win three out of four, or maybe sweep them, right? Well, you would think so. The <laughs> Twins think, aren't yeah. having a very good year. No, you know. kind of just like the real Twinkies, they've yeah. expired this season, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it's me and my food expiration. You know how I feel about that. But yeah, you know, Did when Twinkies it, ever actually expire? I thought they had a shelf life of like 100 years or something. Well, yeah, you can still find them in some <laughs> vending machines, some gas stations, no question. Right next to the sushi. Yeah, <laughs> stop. Somebody asked me if I wanted to go to sushi in Sacramento. I go, I'll, I'll pass on that. I mean, you know, my time is limited. My meals are limited. Uh, sushi is not going to make the rotation. So, but uh, yeah, you saw what made the rotation. You know, it's the usual. The usual makes the rotation. You but, had one good-looking steak there right, in the little green. I didn't yeah. notice a lot of the other stuff because you know I am not as eclectic in my 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 different uh, mm-hmm. choices in food as you are. But when I see a nice steak, mm-hmm. I do tend to look at that and go, "Oh, that looks pretty but good." But see, see, that's the thing. I'm not as eclectic either. You and I are, are pretty similar where we like what we like. But you'll try stuff. I will, and because people can talk you into, yeah. no, you got to try this here, and you'll do it. You know, people order something, and yeah, hey Frank, try this. No, yeah. So you're hard no. I used to be hard no, and then I became okay. But I, I don't like fully dive into it. And so usually I go to my standard regular places. And that's why like my postings were like a lot of traditional places we go. And most of them are comfort food places. They're classic. They, they're iconic. They've been around for 50 plus years or whatever. And I love those type of places. And I'll get you know friends of mine and say, hey, let's go to this place. You'll like that. So now they're trying to say... I'm going to turn you on to this place because I think you'll like it. They're I'm trying going, to broaden your horizons. They're trying to broaden my horizons, and they think, like, okay, you go to the, all the same places. Let's go here. So one of the places, it was a new rib place because I have my standard rib place. And I said, okay, fine. I'll give it a shot. But, you know, when I get there, I'm one of those guys that really dives into the menu. Like, okay, first time you're there, I want to make sure, you know, I get the right thing. I don't want to venture off too much. And so, you know, my buddy's saying, no, you, you know, you're, you're going to like this. And I said, well, I do like pulled pork. Oh, they got a great pulled pork sandwich. But then again, so I look at the, the pulled pork. It's like, well, it's got coleslaw. I go, I'm out. I can't. No, no coleslaw. You can't substitute? Well, I, I'm saying I'm out. Like, I, I don't want to try that. Or I'm going to ask them to do it without the coleslaw. And of course, you get the look like, ah, just have it. I was supposed to. I, go, nah, I, I don't like coleslaw. So I don't want coleslaw. So now maybe I'll venture off. You know, somewhere else. So as you see that picture, there's the pulled pork sandwich as Numbchuck is pulling up. There is no coleslaw on that bad boy. So, uh, but yeah, it, w- it was very good. But again, I'm partial to some of my other barbecue joints. And But this is more, like you said, more of an eclectic place where it's a brewery. And there's so many places, you know, they have a hundred different kinds of micro brews. And they got food and they got barbecue and they got ribs and all that sort of thing. So... It was good. It was, it was good. So, yeah, I, I, I am open to venturing, but when you're there on a limited time, I like to get it. Okay, got to you know, check off you know, my, my, my go-tos. There it is. That was an onion ring that you're pointing to right there. There it goes. Yeah, yeah. That's, so, yeah, so if you had to break it down, yeah. how many traditional comfort safety spots you go to as opposed to trying something new? What would that breakdown ratio be? Would it be nine comfort to one or the other? Is it 8-2? I mean, what is that percentage? Here's the deal. When I go to, like, my home, I go to Sacramento or, say, when I used to live somewhere else, I'd come to Vegas. I have my spot. So the familiarity of a former place that I know real well, I'd say 9-to-1 ratio. Okay. Yeah. But now Houston, I have no allegiance to Houston because I've never been. So now I'm going to venture off. It's going to be, I'm, I'm experimenting. Well, and, but, and you, but recommendations. Well, I was going to say, you, you'll probably take the recommendations of Dusty yeah. and maybe some other yeah. people in that that yes. have been some places. Yeah. Like if you went to Dallas, you would call up Houston Nut and say, okay, let's go to your barbecue right. place and what else do you recommend or whatever. Absolutely. And then you would make your own assessments of them. Correct. So that next time you went down, there you'd is. be like, you know, Houston Nut, yeah. he, he great places. Or you'd yeah. be like, well, Houston is nuts. I'm going to pick right. out some of my own places. Right, right. But that is true. So, like, the first time I went to Washington, D.C., I, again, recommendations. Then the next time I went back, so I went to a lot of those same places again. So, yeah. So that's pretty pretty interesting point there. But that's 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 how I, I, I go about my, my, my food venture. So, so, like, if you were in Tokyo right now at the Olympics, you'd be completely lost. Oh, man. I, you know, I'd probably go Americanized, which and, I hate to do. And you probably but. couldn't trust, like, no. Calling Chris Chapman or somebody no. like that and ask him what's the places to be because I know that he likes all that weird stuff. Well, even, and and I, and I wouldn't sign off on that. even if he doesn't like it, he would certainly try it. Yeah. Oh yeah, they have great eel over at this Thank place. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can't do that. I, I, I just, I'm, 
no, no, no. I am a creature, all right. I'm a creature of habit, not a creature of venturing off to someone something that I'm. You know, I don't want to put that in my mouth. So, like I told you back uh, back in Illinois, I had a friend, and we used to say, "If it ain't moon, it ain't worth chewing." You know, right? There's a lot of steak there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so again, like Chicago. I mean, I'm dying to go to Froggy's. Of course, Cartwright called me over the weekend again. He, where was he at? Having lunch at Froggy's, right? Like, man, I, I got to get there. So when I go to Chicago, I'm at a point now where I don't really try anything new because I, I know the steakhouse I want to go, I know the pizza place I want to go to, I know the Italian or the French place I want to go yeah. to, so that, yeah. So do you go to like a Buena Beef or something like that, even though it's a chain, but they're, but they're pretty good? But I don't know that one. No, it, 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 uh, my friends in that uh, swear by that is the best place to get an Italian beef or something like that. Okay, an Italian beef, yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. That's good. And again, I'm not much of that sandwich, you know, type of guy. So, what's your pizza yeah. go to then in Chicago? Giordano's. Giordano's, okay. Yeah. But I, some people go with the Rosati. Some people. I mean, there, there's I got a, a buzzer for Giordano's. Ones. Really? Okay, so we we can have this discussion. Gino's East. He's thinking. Mm. Yeah. See, I'm not much for Gino's East. Uh, I, I like Gino's, uh, the one right by the Sears Tower in that there, or the, the Hancock Center, because yeah. it's, you know it's the original one and the classic See, on the walls I, and I'm stuff like that. that. So okay, how about uh, I, I like Uno and Due, Pizzeria Uno and Due. How about Lou Malnati's? Lou Malnati's, I'm good with that. Yeah, yeah. See, I've had all those. Yeah. But so you're saying my go-to probably Giordano, but I'm fine with all those. So, so and, and again, if we went and, and Numchuck says, "Hey, let's go to you know Uno or or." Or lose, I'm down for that. Well, and it might be too. You might say, "Well, now, do we want to take a long time here? Do you want to go to a Lou Malnati's or a Gino's or something, and get the deep dish where you got to wait a lot longer? Right. Or if you're, you know, oh, the thin crust is fine or something like that, then you know that might yeah. be a little quicker stop, and yeah. maybe you don't go to one of those places. So, because right. there's different styles of Chicago pizza. That is true, very, very true. And some people like, as I call it, the cracker pizza, which I'm not a big fan of. All right, Numchuck likes that. I'm more where they cut it into the squares. Yeah, uh, don't stop. That, that's that's where you have to stop with me right now. When they go squares, I'm out. And so I'll even ask when I go to a cracker-thin place like that, do you go squares? And if they say no, I say, can you please do pie cut for me? And sometimes they have an attitude. I mean, there's a place here in town, as we know, that will not – they refuse – to, to go the traditional pizza pie cut. Now, see, I do not know that because I've never asked for that. Oh, okay. So, like, I go to one place here that has um, – Amore has real good Chicago thin crust pizza. They always do the squares, and I'm fine with it. Okay. So you brought up their name, so I, I, will, I will go ahead and talk about them. I do like their pizza, but i got to bash them as well, too, because – They won't do pie cut. They will not do pie cut. And so when I, when I put them to the test and ask, why won't you do a pie cut, they just say, well – yeah. Well, what? Well, I got to go back and ask the chefs or the cooks. And they go back and they ask. They go, well, we used to do that before, but then, you know, uh, you know, people complained and, and it got too confusing. So now we just say blanket, no, no pie cut on the thin. However, if you get the double dough or you get the deep dish, the deep dish, yeah. they're all pie cut. So here's my point. If you can cut, go through the effort, and you have the proper machinery to go on a double dough on, on two-thirds of your pizza, you have three pizza choices when it comes to thickness. Two of the three, you do pie cut, but on the one you say, no, I'm not going to do it, that's where I got an issue with. I can see that. I can see that. Be- right? Because in the restaurant I worked at, well, I worked in several restaurants back in Illinois, a couple out here before I got into Sports Talk Radio, you know, when I used to eat well and make good money when I worked in restaurants. <laughs> But um, you know, but yeah, you know, there is something to be said certainly for, you know, the 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 saying always was the customer is always right, right? It, it sounds like their thing is no, have no. it our way or forget no. about it. Now I got a couple other. If you want to bring these guys up? I got a couple other issues with them. That I'm I like their pizza so much and their food, but I've been tempted almost to boycott. But you, not looking for a future sponsorship from them. And I and I was because I really li- I really like it. So last time I went there, I had the Chicago dogs. I think we talked about this with the poppy seed buns. So the last time I went there, but with the pizza, so I've gotten to the habit where I really like the thin crust. I'm not a huge thin crust guy, but I do like theirs. Their thin crust is good. And so now, what do I have to do? I have to say, don't cut it. Don't cut it. So I bring it home and I cut it myself. So they'll do that. They'll go no cut or squares only, but they won't do the pie cut. So please explain this to me. Well, here's what I think you should do. I think you should go there, order the pizza, say don't cut it. Yeah. Have them bring it out to your table. Yeah. 
bring your own pizza cutter and sit down at the table and do the pie cut. I mean, you used to be a wrestling promoter. Yes. Guys would have the, the pizza the slicer object. In, 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 yeah. in their tights yeah. and put it on somebody's forehead. Do that right in front of them. And then when the table's sitting next to you, go, what are you doing there? Go Say, they won't do the pie cut, so I'm doing it myself. I just order it because I don't like the squares. Mm-hmm. And have other people go, well, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Bring your own pizza slicer and pie cut it right in front of them. Game, set, match. And you go with me. I'll go with you. Yeah, see, that's it. That, we'll make it an outing. That's a great idea. But see, this is coming from a guy who's used to bringing his own stuff, who's bringing his own Coca-Colas into a Pepsi place. I have done so, that before. Yeah, yes, I several know. Times. I've, I've witnessed it. So, so again, for you, it's, it's no problem. I think I will do that. Yeah, I'm going to do that. And to, just to make a point. And you know me, I'm going to make I'm going to make a scene of it too. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to start cutting. I'm going I'm going to line it all up. I'm going to be like, like like I'm measuring for the first down. Oh no, no, no. You know Here's what, I mean? what you do. Yeah. Here's what you do. You do that and you make sure you bring somebody and you videotape it and post it. Yeah. Here I am, TC Martin. Check it out tcmartinshow.com. They're going to hate me. Here at Amori and uh <laughs> you know Amori's they won't do the pie cut for you, so I got my own slicer here. Got the pizza. Yeah. Looks delicious. Not cutting any slices yet. We're about to do the proper pie cut as all pizza should be served as and then have at it. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. I, I, they will probably hate. Will, will, they'll probably eject me, don't you think? No. You don't think how, so? how are they going to eject? Are, are you paying your bill? Yeah, I'm are, paying are, bill. Are, 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 did you order a pizza? Yeah. Did you order it to, to to go or to eat in? You ordered it to eat wow. in. This what is, you do with it now? This is a challenge. This is this is this is a challenge. I'm gonna have to do it. Now, uh how often when you go out do you pay with a credit card or do you go cash? I go cash. Okay. Pretty so, much all okay. the time. Well see, I don't like credit card for one reason. Because if you pay by credit card, your server and that doesn't always get all of the tip or something, or you know how they don't always report yep. all their tips and yep. stuff like that. Yep. Now, I do know some people that pay with a credit card for the food and then leave okay. a cash tip. Right. But I just oh, right. basically go cash. Nothing. Okay. So the reason why I bring this up uh, to see if you have experienced this, but obviously you have not. So I'm probably going to have some breaking news for you on this one. At your establishment that, that we do like so much but have some quirks with, do you know that if you go to that establishment – that if you pay for a credit card, they will charge you more. They'll charge you a dollar more because you're using a credit card. There's a lot of places now that are doing it. I don't like it. I don't understand it. It's like when I see people, okay. you know, you pay at the pump and yeah. you're paying like six cents a gallon. Yeah. And people, oh, it's only six cents. It's like, then why are you going yeah. to a cheaper gas station? I challenge you on that because, you know, I eat out a lot. I've never seen one place, not one place, that has a sign or will tell you, we're going to charge you more if you use a credit card. And they went to this during the pandemic by saying they lost a lot of money, you know, with this, which I, I, I still don't believe that. But again, there's enough markup in the pizza industry and in pastas and that sort of thing. Well, they were also closed down for quite a while, that particular establishment. So they might have lost a well, lot of money. Now, part one, of all, no, one, one of the places they were remodeling. Right. But the place where I've been going, where this has happened, they never closed. Okay, and they they're open closed. seven days a week? They're open seven days a week. Okay, because the one that yeah. just reopened on this side of town is actually closed on Monday and Tuesdays. I, I know, I know. But, so, it became the principal matter. For me, it's like, okay, yeah, it's a buck. But, no, it, it, you, you've never done it before. You didn't do it pre-pandemic, and you're not doing it post-pandemic. And I say post-pandemic because, basically, you know, yeah, we're getting the second wave and everything, but they def- they never stopped because they got comfortable. And the poor girls that work at the front there, they have got to explain this to people over and over and over. And it's got to be a point where now it's it's a problem. It's a major inconvenience. And so you, you're not going to go ahead and, and do a pie cut because you're just being stubborn. But now you're hitting everybody. Let's face it. Majority of people go to restaurants. I'd probably say 80%, right? 85% play, pay with a, a credit card, a debit card, and you need to charge everyone a dollar because you're claiming, you know, uh, poor and, you know, w- you know, we got hurt so much. We, we, everyone got hurt. And you know who got hurt, too? The customers got hurt Absolutely. as well, too. So to me, to continue to enforce it that was never in play for all the years that those guys have been open – I got an issue with that. I can see that. Yeah. Maybe next time you go there, if you pay with credit card, say, yeah, and for my dollar service fee, I'd like a pie cut, please. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
But, uh, and I don't know if the other location is doing that because the last time I went to the other location since they reopened, I didn't get pizza. I got hot dogs. Yeah. And um, I, actually I didn't f- pay the bill. Yeah, I actually met a friend there yesterday because okay. he wanted to meet someplace and had an Italian beef. And But we always pay cash. Like I say, we always pay cash. Okay. You should go in there and see if there's a sign up there that says that. Says that. But anyway, yes. Yes, the porterhouse was fantastic that I had. It was a three-pound porterhouse. Three-pound porterhouse. Yeah, three-pound. And what's cool about this place, and this is more, I want to say fine dining, but again, it's not, it's not the typical dive, where you, and you can appreciate this because I'm sure you've worked in restaurants like this, where you get to pick out your meat. You get to put, you pick out your hand cut of meat. And, and again, so these things like were like three inches thick. And their market price as well too, so you don't know which you know how much you're paying until they weigh it for you and, and all that sort of well, thing. Well, I could see it's that, cool. yeah, because yeah. the weight could be a lot different in that. Yeah. You know, and, I mean, yeah. uh, you, you should pay less for a two and a half pound porterhouse yeah. than a three and a quarter pound right. porterhouse, right? And then they slice it for you, and uh, you know, then 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 you go to town. It becomes very shareable. And I can say there, so. Is that what you did? You got a three pound porterhouse yes. for you and the rest of the table. You kind yeah. of split it. Yeah. For two okay. people, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there. So there you go. And there well, because go. I because I know my dad used to talk about a place, and, and again, this is before I was even born, so that shows how long ago it was. But by the uh, amphitheater in Chicago, they used to have a place called the Stockyard Inn, and it was literally right next to the Stockyards in Chicago. And they used to have like a three or four pound steak that you could order, and if you could finish it, it was free. Right. You know, back in those days and that. So, right. you know, kind of like those eating challenge types, like a Joey Chestnut or something would probably have three of them or something. But, but you know, so, and that's why I think, you know, when you, like, I, we hear a three-pound steak and you go, wow, how many meals did you get out of that? But there are people that would go, yeah, give me a three-pound steak and then let's see what, what I'm going to have for dessert. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we, we've talked, when we talked to Mickey Sudo about the big Texan, I told you my buddy from yeah. Chicago who drove out to Vegas uh, to meet me, he stopped at the big Texan in Amarillo, was it the 64-ounce steak? And Something if you, like that, And yeah. if you eat it all, you get your name on the wall, it's yeah. free. And, and uh, she had like three of them, she said, right? Yeah, yeah, ridiculous. So my guy said, I said, well, h- h- how'd you do? He goes, all I left was the tip. Because so he he conquered the the big Texan, so now Amarillo I, they, there you go. How far is Amarillo from Houston? Because I was having this conversation with uh, friends of mine who live in Dallas who are talking about meeting me down in Houston, and I'm trying to figure out okay what's close to Houston. The guy, they go okay what else are you going to do besides going to watch baseball and and food of course, and so I'm going okay well you know how far is you know I you know and I'm a college guy as you know I love to go to college universities. And I don't want to go, you know, get a Rice T-shirt or a University of Houston Cougar T-shirt because I'm not in them. But they had told me, well, you know, what about College Station? And I go, whoa, Texas A&M. I said, yeah, I could see myself going by Texas A&M. I would enjoy that. So they looked it up for me and said, yeah, you're uh, not going Amarillo to Houston. It, it's, it's about an hour and a half. And I go, uh, okay. Amarillo to Houston is eight hours and forty-five minutes. Is it five hundred ninety-nine yeah. miles? And, and why would anyone want to go to Amarillo? <laughs> so there we go. Because I, I got to you know get my Texas map out here. So you know Austin, I think, is about you know two hours away. So I go, okay. What about Baylor? And they go, ah, Waco. Well, if you go through the angle, and I go, what are you talking about going through the angle? I guess a little shorter. If you go through the angle, I mean, I, I don't know what that means, but you know. So Baylor, I I wouldn't mind Baylor, even though you know they kind of upset me because they've been you know a lot of trouble lately. But anyway, uh, they said yeah, it's like you know, that's like four and a half, five hours or something like that. That's no good. Well, how far is San Antonio? Ah, eh, San Antonio is about three hours. I go, isn't Houston near anything? They go, no, nah, that's on the bottom. You know, so it's like it's kind of near the Gulf. It's not too it's far the from the Gulf. Yeah. If you go down to what is it, whatever Galveston, yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because me, I know when, Glenn Campbell. Yeah, because I know when Houston got um, ravaged by the. Uh, the, the hurricanes in that years ago when my brother still lived down there, he uh, he said that Galveston really got absolutely hammered down yeah. there. So a lot of people go to the uh, – if you're going to the beach or something, you go to Galveston, I guess. Yeah, I'm looking at nearby cities here as Numchuck brings up the map here. Uh, Sugarland. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Sugarland. Pearl actually. Land. Now, Sugarland you might like because there's yep. a minor league baseball team there. But why would I like minor league baseball? I'm going to watch major league baseball. Well, you, you know, it's just something different. <laughs> That's something. I got minor league baseball here. I mean, you're a sports fan. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's it's not even triple. Well, actually, it, it might be triple A down there. I think Sugarland is. You're right. Yeah, That's, I think they're the the, they're the, the mosquitoes or the skeeters or something. Be, because they said the mosquitoes are so big down there that they actually named their minor league team after it. Mm-hmm. 
which isn't a place that I necessarily want to go. <laughs> One of the reasons I was glad to get out of Illinois was because I don't get mosquito bites anymore. This is true. They so, liked my blood. I don't know what it was about my blood, but it was... Well, you love giving your blood, too. So yeah, but not to mosquitoes. But, uh, yeah, so I'll definitely have the food report for you. So a couple days. So, yeah, the sandwich vacation, back here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then uh, off to Houston on Thursday. So, again, we'll, anybody has any suggestions food-wise for me, please... Hit me up, TC Martin twenty one Twitter. Call the show. Let me know. I got a couple friends know. from Houston. Maybe I'll ask them yeah, for places that you can go down there. Well, Adam Joseph is is uh, supposed to be loading me up with a couple places. Okay, Our good yeah. friend from Opportunity yeah. Village because he's spent a lot of time in Houston. Well, I know a couple of people that uh, we used to work with, Big Mex, and that he, he he's from Houston. He still loves it down there. My brother yeah. lived in Houston for a while, yeah. you know, but he lived. I'd say the suburbs or the outskirts of Houston, but Houston's so spread out. I don't know what is and isn't Houston. Right. I, I know the area. My brother lived like it seemed like we drove forever to get to the ballpark and where the Toyota Center is and all that sort of stuff. But it's all part. He still lived in Houston. So it's it's like the fourth largest city in the United States. And it's it is very, very spread out. Hey. It covers a lot of ground. You know what they got in Houston, though? They got Freddy's. Do they? Proud sponsors of the Astros, by the way. Oh, so yeah? you look at Minute Maid Park. They got the signage right there. There it is. Then they also got Whataburger, which I've never had a Whataburger. What about you? Uh, I think I had Whataburger once down in like maybe San Diego or something like that. They got they one down, down there, too? I, okay. I, I, but I, it might have been something else. I don't remember. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. But I, I'm already starting to do some homework on, on steakhouses and that sort of thing. But, yeah, I'm yeah. going to go advice. I'm looking for advice. Now, for you, I, I'd imagine that one of your things is you've got to find a good place to get a good dog. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what is a Houston dog like? I have no idea. Well, I'll tell you what it a Houston dog might be an actual dog for I'll all t- I know. I'll tell you what a Houston dog <laughs> is. You ready for this? I did my homework on this. At the ballpark, you can appreciate this. Unfortunately, they don't have the Freddy's dog, but they have the Nolan Ryan cattle dog. Nolan Ryan has his own cattle company, his own meat company. And uh, yeah, they say his hot dogs are pretty good. And I think it's Tuesday night, Dollar Dogs. And it's not just your garbage dog. It's a Nolan Ryan dog. All, right. well, hopefully, All beef. Hopefully they don't call it the Nolan Ryan dog because it runs you through really fast. He's <laughs> <laughs> coming at you 101 miles per hour. You, know, you have the dog and then you're right off. Miss that inning. <laughs> you know, if that's the case, I hope it's a change-up. Because you know? <laughs> Nolan Ryan had a pretty good fastball, but he did it. He had a miraculous curve as well. That's what I'm saying. That curve wasn't really slow either. And a tremendous slider. Yeah. There we go. But a lot, lot of heat with a Nolan Ryan. Well, then they should have Nolan Ryan sliders as well. There, there, there you go. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah. So as, before we get into today's show, again, thank you to, to you, Clayton Hamilton, uh, Chris Wynn, for all f- filling in on uh, Thursday and Friday. Appreciate that. I'm sure uh, you're, you're going to go back to that bullpen or, or part of that bullpen this Thursday and Friday as well. Yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, you got, you got to review the game film, right? You know, I mean, it, you know, it's... <laughs> It's like what was the football coach said. We're not guaranteed Thursday and Friday is going to be here yet. You know, let's pump the brakes. <laughs> Pull the Kyle Shanahan on us, huh? I'm not Whoa. an optimist. I'm not a pessimist. Yeah. I'm a realist. He's noncommittal. That's <laughs> what he's talking about. There you go. It's going to be like 110 again on Thursday and Friday. All right. Well, there you go. You join us. You know, I'm here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Frank and his mystery guests <laughs> <laughs> Thursday and Friday. You're going to get that heat with humidity down in Houston. Yeah. Luckily, I'm going to ball games indoors, my friend. I'll be good. So Minute Maid Park. Which is what they're going to have to do out here if they do get a stadium. It's got to have a retractable roof. Yes, for baseball, no doubt. Okay, uh, a lot to hit on today. Oh, hit on. Here's a baseball thing right there. I saw that. There's that. Uh, Matthew Holt's going to join us. Uh, we'll talk to Matt regarding uh, some, some Texas stuff with Texas-Oklahoma update. Officially, they have petitioned to go to the SEC. We'll follow up with him on that. Uh, not renewing their Big 12 TV deals. Plus, we've got Olympic stuff to talk about with Matt as well, too, from a betting side. Uh, USA women's soccer team eliminated uh, in the semifinals, could not beat Canada. Uh, game-winning goal uh, on a penalty kick in the 75th minute. Uh, as you know, the their their goalkeeper got injured. So Yeah, she got, got injured yeah. in the first half. Yeah. She actually tried to stay in the game. Had one free kick. As soon as she kicked the ball, she immediately waved to the bench, and they had to take her out. Yeah. I mean, she she was hurt, and it was pretty visible. So we got yeah a lot of Olympic news update. We'll talk more about Simone Biles. Uh, we'll we'll talk about Team USA on the women's side as well too. So we'll dive into that a little bit later. Uh, but coming up next, a very special guest, uh, Brett Rampkin. He's the director of the HBO 
documentary, The Weight of Gold. And I love the HBO documentaries. You know how much I've, I love real sports. Of course, Hard Knocks is in the mix. You know, that's happening right now, you know, with training camp and everything. But uh, The Weight of Gold actually was released last year, uh, and it's back again now with the Olympic Games, HBO Max. It is one of the best documentaries that really looks deep and focuses on the great Olympians like Michael Phelps, uh, Apollo Ono, uh, Sean White, and several others, and what happens after winning a gold medal, how quickly a lot of these athletes are forgotten. Uh, depression has set in, and many of these a- athletes are suffering mental illness. It's really kind of a, a look at the dark side of the Olympic athlete, and Brett Ra- uh, Rampkin did a fantastic job with this documentary. So we are going to talk to him when we come back. And a whole lot more TC Martin Show on this marvelous Monday. Hello, I'm Stephanie. I'm from Germany. Yippee yo, Schweinebacke. When I'm in America, I'm listening to TC Martin Show. Michael Phelps is one of the fastest swimmers in the world. None of us had normal childhoods. I want to win gold medal. I want to win. I knew it was the biggest stage that I would perform for in my life. For Olympians, that's what defines you. Athletes have worked their entire lives for this moment. I wanted to do everything I could to be the best skater I could. Everything revolves around this sole focus, and that sole focus is the Olympics. And now the next 40 seconds will dictate our human lives. But after the Olympics, the village doors close, and that's kind of it. Win or lose, I've felt a dramatic emptiness. We're just so lost. A good 80%, maybe more, go through some kind of post-Olympic depression. It's gold and then what? I didn't develop outside interests. I thought of myself as just a swimmer and not a human being. That's where I was just like, why don't I just end it all? From the outside, it's like you got everything. Athletes just don't talk about our weaknesses. That just cracks the facade. The mainstream media love building somebody up and then come crashing down. Depression puts you into a spiral. You just start getting deeper and deeper into it. He was my best friend. We have to do something. And this is important. Youth around the world watch and look up to these people. I've given my blood, sweat, and tears. And all I'm asking is that someone can help me get through this. We're human. I don't think I have to say anything else. That is uh, The Weight of Gold, HBO Max, streaming now, an amazing documentary focused on great Olympians, Michael Phelps, Jeremy Bloom, Lolo Jones, Bodie Miller, Apollo Ono, and many, many, Sean White and many others, what happens after winning a gold medal. And uh, joining us now is the director of this amazing documentary, uh, Brett uh, Rapkin. Brett, how you doing, my man? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. No, appreciate it. And uh, again, I'm a big fan, obviously, of of everything HBO and everything they do with real sports. And you know, the hard knocks people here uh, always follow that because of of the football angle. But uh, everything from a documentary standpoint uh, is usually so well done. And your piece here, The Way to Gold, is no exception, my friend. And I got to ask you, what inspired you to make this film? Yeah, it was a calling. You know, I mean. Uh... The project started out with just interviewing Stephen Holcomb, who was the captain of the Olympic bobsled team, active camp uh, captain at that time. And we shared uh, uh, an eye doctor here in, in Los Angeles who introduced us. And I really just planned on making a short a short film about him leading into the 2018 Winter Olympics. Um, and sadly, he um, he died uh, just a couple weeks after our, our interview with him and. And the project um, evolved from there. You know, Olympic time, uh, you know, America and the world really focuses on these games every four years. And really, this is kind of really the only time that people get a chance to know 
some of these athletes. I mean, you use Michael Phelps as an, an example. No one really knew much of him until the success that he that he had. And the same thing with you know guys like Bodie Miller and Winter Olympic uh, you know athletes, that sort of thing. And I can imagine we've talked about this before. What is like for some of these athletes after those three weeks are gone? Now, if you have the success and you win multiple gold medals like a Michael Phelps, you, you're going to see you know, him on endorsement deals. You're going to see him in commercials. But for a lot of these athletes who work just as hard, who don't medal or don't even place, a lot of times we never hear from them again. And I, I imagine that you probably you know, found that you know, when you were putting this film together. Yeah, I mean, I really experienced that firsthand because uh, I traveled with, with Bodie Miller and the U.S. ski team the winter before the 2006 Olympics when he became a household name. Um, and, you know, the ski team does, like a lot of these sports, do a, you know, a World Cup season every winter, and they're competing against the same guys. And every four years, they just happen to take a break from their regular regularly scheduled programming, as they say, and, and do this thing called the Olympics. So it was a really firsthand uh, account and experience of, of how much work and uh, goes into their day-to-day life that's outside of the Olympics. Brett Rapkin joins us, the director of The Weight of Goal. It is now streaming on HBO Max. And this was actually uh, released last year, correct? And then it, it, you guys re-released it again? Yeah, so um, HBO picked up the film. It was originally produced, you know, largely independently, and then HBO picked it up. Uh, and the plan was to release it around the uh, the Olympics last summer. Um, and when the Olympics were postponed, uh, we made the decision, along with with HBO, to still go ahead and release it. Um, and it, you know, it got a, a lot of attention and uh, had a lot of impact, which is what we're focused on doing here at Podium Pictures. Is working you know with athletes and through the power of sports storytelling to try to make the world uh, a little better place uh, but we never could have expected that it would have had the resurgence that it's had um, this summer when it comes to these athletes like that and you mentioned people focus on the olympics but they do go on every year you, you know the, there are the world championships in pretty much every sport out there has it changed a little bit for some of the athletes with the advent of like the Diamond League and track and field and different things where they can compete and be on a little bit bigger stage than they used to be? Or is it still just Olympics or bust for a lot of these people? I mean, there's nothing like the Olympics. The amount of, of money and, and exposure that, that the brands and, and NBC and, of course, the other broadcasters around the world put into it, you know, it, it's hard to think of anything else. Maybe the Super Bowl. Um, although it's hard to imagine that has even the global impact of the Olympics. And that's every year instead of four. Every year instead of four, yeah. Um, I think one thing that's really changed for the athletes and, and is continuing to change, and, and certainly with what we're seeing with NIL and, and college sports, is, is social media. I mean, I think that, you know, if you're if you're Lolo Jones and you're she's currently um, back into bobsledding, but... If you're a fan of Lolo Jones, you can follow her every day on her own channels um, to the extent that she's able and, w- able and willing to create content and that you're interested in seeing it. So I see every athlete now has their own channel, and the only question is how they want to program it and monetize it on a day-to-day basis. It's pretty exciting. Brett, I know this was a long process for you, and like a lot of filmmakers, but this took you like around three years to complete, right? So, and, and give us some details on you know, where your travels took you to get this done. Yeah, it was, it was quite a process, as these you know, documentaries tend to be. Um, you know, I like there's, there's historical documentaries. You know, I did one about, say, the history of Dodger Town in Vero Beach, the legendary Dodger uh, training facility. And that story was largely already told, right? So it was just a matter of getting the right people together and getting the right footage to do it. I mean, this film, The Weight of Gold, ended up becoming, you know, more like a living, breathing, in some ways, you know, cinema verite film, as they call it. I mean, this thing happened in real time. There were things that were revealed in the, in the interviews with the athletes that took the film in, in completely new directions. There were athletes who, you know, would call and, and ask if they could participate. Um, because they, they wanted to tell this side of their story that took things in a completely new direction. 
yeah, it was a wild ride, but we, we were really grateful for where it landed on HBO, where, you know, you mentioned in your intro just how great HBO is. You have to give them a lot of credit. Um, you know, this is a this is a courageous film to put on. This is a film that was very honest and, you know, was not necessarily the most, uh, you know, endearing look at, at some of the organizations involved. And HBO just seems to really have a great um, track record of doing that, whether it's with these documentaries or real sports and as well as with some of their commentators. So hats off to them. So the way to gold, it really focuses on these athletes and what happens after the Olympic Games, the depression, a look at mental illness, and kind of really the dark side of the Olympic athlete, right? Yeah, it definitely gives a, a look at the Olympics and, and Olympic athletes that hadn't been seen before. And, you know, I think with, with mental health being, I think you have to say, the biggest story of the Olympics last week. And I think it's we're seeing now that Simone Biles is going to compete in the, the balance beam finals. I mean, what a what an incredible uh, ratings event that's going to be. Uh, I believe on Tuesday, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things about about sports and about the Olympics that are more than meets the eye, so to speak. And and I'm glad we were able to to shine a light on that in the Olympic world. I know that in your documentary, you talk about some of the people that have won medals in that and kind of how hard it is. Is it just as hard, or maybe even harder, for some of the people that maybe went to the Olympics and had expectations of meddling and never even made it to that podium? Because an Olympian and sprinting or women's gymnastics and some of the sports, there is maybe only one shot at it. And is it even more difficult for them knowing that their dream is over and uh, you know they didn't achieve what they wanted to, or is it tougher for the ones that did achieve it and then they realize that hey, at this early age of my life? Uh, I'm kind of done. The, the The best part of my life might be over already. Is that part of the depression part of it? Yeah, I think any athlete you'd ask if, if given the choice, they they'd love to go home with that gold medal. And I think one of the one of the more interesting things in the film is when you hear Apollo Ono, you know, the most decorated Winter Olympian of all time, um, talking about how, just how much the drop off in attention is between a gold and a silver. Uh, I mean, to go to the Olympics and win a silver medal is is such a, a rare and almost unthinkable achievement, but in, in the eyes of sponsors and a lot of the world, it's, it's as Apollo says, gold and then what? So, you know, one thing that I'm trying to talk about during this round of, you know, publicity for the film, which again has been very unexpected, it's pretty rare for a film to be talked about, you know, a year later, um, is just how I think a lot of this stuff applies to all of us. And, you know, I think we live in a culture where it's very achievement based. Uh, and, and anybody who's basing their, their sense of self-worth or, or identity on external things like winning medals, let alone a gold medal, or what other people have to say about them, I think that's tough for all of us. And what these Olympians are, are going through and have gone through is it's not just an Olympic issue, it's a, a human issue. All right, Brett Rapkin joins us as the director of Weight of Gold, the documentary airing right now on HBO Max, uh, streaming there. Brett, you mentioned the endorsement uh, angle of it here. And like we said, you know, a guy like Michael Phelps and even Lolo Jones, I mean, people that ha- have the success compared to those that maybe don't. When you were going back and, and looking at this, did you notice the discrepancy or the differences between the athletes that uh, – that are are doing well financially years after the Olympics compared to those that could be struggling? And, and what is the percentage of that? And, and give us some instances what, what to, you know, to tell our audience, you know, what you ran into with that. Yeah. I mean, forget years down the road. I think, you know, a lot of the Olympians that are right now in Tokyo are, are not in good financial shape. You know, I had the the expectation. And again, I had traveled with an Olympic team, you know, the U.S. ski team. Um, for five, six months, I was embedded with the team and, and had a pretty unique experience. But, um, you know, for, I had the expectation that, you know, you watch opening ceremonies and certainly there's people like Michael Phelps or, you know, Apollo or, or Bodie or, you know, a bunch of people that appeared in the film, Sean White, who are, who are doing extremely well, but that at least everybody had at least, I don't know, $100,000 coming in during the Olympic year. I mean, there's not that many people that are representing Team USA, and there's a significant amount of money coming in, billions. Um, but I was I was dead wrong. Um, you know, these these Olympians, a, a few of them are able to generate individual endorsements um, that are more than just hey, here's some some free Gatorade or some free you know sports tape 
actual cash endorsements, uh, let alone amounts that can actually move the needle. But for most of them, they're living in, in either debt or at best breaking even. Um, there needs to be some real attention, more attention given to the way that the, the cash flows through the Olympic system because uh, the athletes are not, are not getting uh, anywhere near what they should be. When it comes to winning a gold medal, is there a certain time frame that somebody has a chance to cash in on that? I noticed Carissa Moore, the uh, surfer that won a gold, she's already in an endorsement doing a commercial, and, I mean, that's really good for her. Or does it matter maybe on the popularity of the sport in that? Is some sports maybe have a little bit more window where you can look at more of potential advertisers and you can pick and choose a little bit more? Because it seems like some that are really niche sports, it's like you better strike while the iron's hot. No, it's, it's a really small window. Um, I think, you know, if you look at, at Michael Phelps, who's an executive producer and, and narrator on The Weight of Gold, my one of my partners on the project, and what he's been able to do uh, and, and, and will continue to do over the coming years is just extremely rare uh, in terms of being able to continue to, to monetize and, and get the sort of brand deals, um, you know, after he retires. There's you know, it, it's extremely rare and it needs to be more common. I mean, I think that I think athletes are still undervalued. I mean, you have the top one percent, but if you look at the other ninety nine percent, these are um, these are people with extremely strong followings. Again, social media is, is a huge thing. I know I'm getting a lot of my news and, and exposure to brands on social media, and you know, I'm encouraged to see what's going on with. With college sports, and I hope it expands to the Olympics in terms of the athletes being able to better monetize their, their own brands. You know, you interviewed so many different athletes, so many Olympians, you know, for this documentary. Which one of these athletes really blew you away with their story or demeanor? And I know there's probably several here, but just uh, did anybody kind of catch you like off guard? Like, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to pick just one. I'd say all of them. You know, there, there's there's nobody in the film who who kind of doesn't fit under that category. I mean, I think, you know, with 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 Michael Phelps, and and I interviewed him twice for the film. Um, you know, his willingness to to not just talk about his own mental health challenges, which I think has been, um, you know, truly revolutionary. I think that if without Michael's uh, candid candor, I don't know that you have a Naomi Osaka or a Simone Biles necessarily, you know, using the term mental health to, to describe what they're dealing with. But for Michael to, um, you know, to share that he really felt the resources weren't there, uh, I thought that was really courageous and uh, I think, you know, took the film in, in a whole different direction. You know, all of these athletes, you know, Brett, are basically performing individual sports. Do you feel that it's more taxing on them because they're in these individual sports instead of part of a team? Maybe. I mean, I played baseball growing up. I played, you know, at the same high school as Ryan Braun from the Milwaukee Brewers and, uh, you know, pretty competitive level. And even though baseball might be considered a team sport, I've never felt more alone than, than I was in that batter, in that batter's box when I started facing uh, guys like John Garland who played for the Angels and they had that, that big biting hard curveball. I felt pretty alone, <laughs> even though it was a team sport. So um, I think it's pretty individual. Uh, it just depends who you're around. And I think one of the challenges uh, that they're dealing with in, in, in Tokyo is just they don't have the sort of support team there that, that they're certainly accustomed to because of the COVID restrictions. What do you think is one of the main reasons why some of these a- athletes fall into depression? You know, again, I think it, it relates to all of us. I think that, first of all, people are more comfortable talking about mental health today than they were five years ago or 50 years ago. And, and I think it's only going to continue to trend in that direction. It's like the genie is out of the bottle. I, I think that in years past, maybe our, our fathers or certainly our grandfather's generation, there wasn't, it wasn't as acceptable to talk about it. It wasn't as acceptable to, to get therapy or use medication. I think people have dealt with depression for a long time. They just buried it, um, you know, u- using alcohol or, or, other substances or, or activities to, to, you know, sweep it under the rug. Um, having said that, I think there are some things that people are dealing with today that are, are really unique. I think that, again, this culture I was mentioning before that's so hyper-competitive, um, where it's like, you know, it feels zero-sum game. 
with this pandemic, I mean, so many people losing their jobs, people are, are going to get evicted more and more um, as these moratoriums end. You know, living in a country here in the States where we don't have uh, national, you know, health insurance, that's a scary thing. Um, so I think those things also add to, not to mention the addiction to our phones and social media. It's a challenging time. With the Olympics being this year in 2021 because of the pandemic and everything else, the next Summer Olympics will only be in three years instead of four. Is there more of a chance for athletes to maybe compete in the next one than they would have if, you know, if it would have been four years in between? Because I know, like, Caleb Dressel, when they talked to him yesterday, and, of course, like uh, Phelps, he won the five gold medals and won Olympics, not three times like Michael Phelps did. But is there maybe a little bit more of a sense that, you know, there won't be as much, dep- as much depression because – they will be having an Olympics a little bit sooner than normal? Maybe. I mean, I think let's see where the world is in three years. I mean, uh, you know, let's see. Let's let's get through this pandemic and, and, and hopefully get back to, you know, some normalcy of life where, you know, these athletes can train. I mean, they, you talk about Katie Ledecky having to go find a, a private pool to train in. I mean, some pretty, uh, some pretty unique uh, some unique experiences to what these athletes have had to do to, to stay in shape uh, and, and not only to stay uh, in physical shape, but to stay in the, in the mental shape to be able to compete at this level. So who knows where we'll be in three years, but, you know, let's, let's hope and let's work together to, to try to be in a better place than we are today. All right. He is Brett Rapkin, the director of The Weight of Gold, addressing the challenges and personal detail, which uh, premiered in 2020 on HBO Max and is now back again. It is streaming now uh, on HBO Max. It's an amazing documentary. Brett, a fantastic job. And, uh, uh, you know, I highly recommend everybody get a chance to see this because you did a fantastic job. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You got it. There he is. Brett Rapkin, the director of The Weight of Gold. Also, Michael Phelps is a, is a key contributor part of this, uh, you know, executive producer as well, too, and he's a narrator of this. So if you haven't seen it yet, definitely check it out. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, too, because when he said that, you know, there's gold and then there's everything else, there's a really good story going on, and I'm not sure everybody's heard it in this Olympics. In the high jump, the men's high jump, two guys tied. They all made all their jumps, and then they missed all three at the at the final height. They could have had a jump off, but they're friends, and they said, no, can we get two golds? So they both actually are sharing the gold. One was favored over the other, but they said, if we can both get gold, let's do that. Because right. they didn't want that silver. Because let's face it, some people think of second place is just the number one loser. All right, check it out. The Weight of Gold, amazing documentary now available on HBO Max. When we come back, Matthew Holt will join us. We'll talk some more Olympics. Plus, we've got some uh, college football and NFL training camp to touch on. T.C. Barton, Ballpark Frank on a magnificent Monday.